Hello, good evening and welcome to Open for Business here on NLive Radio 106.9 FM. My name is Adrian Price, the guy from the university with the perfect face for radio and you were just listening, of course, to the one and only ABBA with Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Here we go again after a little break last week and uh, I must say a big thank you to Simon Cox of NNBN for his guest editorship and um, curation of the show last week. What a great show. Some great music, a couple I need to add into my repertoire and some great guests too, CEOs and ministers of the realm indeed. Well done, Simon. Thank you so much and uh, look forward to you, um, to, you know, taking the show on every last Tuesday of the month. But tonight we have an interesting show, the usual good music. And also we have Jenny Herrera from the Good Business Charter based in York and our very own Duncan Farrington from Farrington Oils based here in Northamptonshire. And they'll be talking about Good Business Week, celebrating the very good things that business do. We've got Chris Smith from the Derngate, the Royal and Derngate, talking about a fundraising auction, a very interesting fundraising auction that's on this week that you can uh, uh, participate in. We've got some of our students from the university doing uh, a radio interview as part of their second year module and I hope you enjoy that and finally just to try to keep up with Simon Cox we've got TV's very own Nick Hewer from The Apprentice working with Sir Alan and then Lord now Lord Sugar and of course that's to mark the recent start of the new series so plenty to look forward to plenty of great music as well but this show hopefully we just keep on as Diana Ross and the Supremes might say happening Look at me, I can see the real time. Shook me, took me out of my world. I woke up, suddenly I just woke up to the happening. When you find that you love the future, be happy. When you got a tender love you don't take care of, then you better be.
regular listeners of the show will know that I'm always looking out for good businesses, businesses that do something over and above perhaps making money or doing their day-to-day business. And it's great to be associated with this particular week, which is Good Business Charters, Good Business Week. Are you getting the message? Good business. And I'm delighted to welcome both the CEO of the Good Business Charter, Jenny Herrera, and also the founder and managing director of a fantastic local business, Farrington Oils, that are doing so much in this area, Duncan Farrington. Welcome to you both. Jenny, firstly, Good Business Charter, um, Good Business Week. What's this all about? Oh, good to be on the show, Adrian. Good Business Week is all about celebrating and championing good businesses. Aren't we all sick of hearing about the scandals, all the things that businesses do wrong? The assumption is that everyone else is not doing wrong, but the reality is not many are really responsible across all different areas. So what we thought it would be really good is to take a week where we just celebrate good businesses, celebrate those who are treating their workforce well, being responsible towards the environment, paying their suppliers promptly, which is a real focus of today in particular. And, and just take that time, really. It's, it's been interesting to see how many people have said, yeah, yeah, we want to get involved in this because let's face it, there's a lot of bad news around and about us. And it just feels nice to stop and pause and say, let's celebrate those who are doing good. Fantastic. How long has Good Business Charter been going? Well, this is our fourth anniversary, so we launched in 2020, just before the pandemic, and that's really why we chose this week. It it really is because we launched on the 10th of February, so this week includes that date. And next year, this is is a sort of social media campaign very much this year. Next year, we want to go big because it'll be our fifth anniversary. Uh, so it's it's been we've got about 1,300 organisations accredited from a range of sectors and both big organisations, the likes of Aviva and TSB, Richer Sounds and, of course, at the University of Northampton uh, with your good self and many, many small businesses as well uh, as as really just showing that the good business charge is something that works for all different sizes of business. Yeah, and you're, you're based in York, but with a very strong pedigree that does involve a lot of national bodies, such as the Trades Union Congress, visit TUC, the Institute of Directors are all supporters and fans. Yes, and we work with the FSB, who are, will be particularly keen on today, Timely Tuesday, because they wanted to make sure it really worked for small businesses as well. And of course, they are um, one of the a fierce proponent of making sure we pay our suppliers promptly. So we we are, and that's what we've done. We've gone to different partners and said, okay, fair tax mark, can you get behind this? And what about all these different organisations who are who are all on this same page of trying to raise the bar and champion behaving responsibly, ESG, whatever you want to call it, it's all falling under this same banner. Mm. So you've got, um, the scheme is based on 10 principles that the companies are expected to observe or commit to. Um, you've mentioned uh, a few of them there. Um, you mentioned some of the organizations involved. Are you, you know, changing the dial? Are people signing up or how easy is it to get businesses to apply? You know, it's a challenging time. We've recently had to uh, revoke Capita's accreditation. They were sadly our first to accredit back in 2020, but they're no longer able to commit to the real living wage. And one thing we are very clear about is you have to meet all 10. And it's all very clear so that members of the public can clearly see that if an organisation is GBC accredited, Good Business Charter accredited, they are committed to all 10. It's not an average scoring. So therefore, if someone says, well, we can't do this anymore, then sadly... 
they can't accredit. So you, you've got a situation where, where businesses are facing tough times and we've sort of started to appreciate that this is quite an exclusive group of organisations that can do all 10. That said, every week we're seeing new organisations accredit and uh, new organisations inquiring and exploring it with them. So it feels like, yes, on renewal, some will say, mm, yeah, OK, I, I'm no longer able to commit, but there are many who are championing this and and it really holds them to account just Mm. talking recently to the tsb they were saying you know when there's discussions about things like uplifting to the real living wages new rates they're like well we're we're held to account by the good business charter we are definitely going to do it and and it's just that really useful framework for businesses okay well just before we bring duncan in um this is open to all types of organizations not just for profits am i right that's right. Our founder, Julian Richer, supports a lot of charities and he, from the very beginning, said this needs to work for charities as well because whilst a charity would not see themselves as a business, they do have employees, they do have a, a footprint in the environment and we just felt, well, actually, apart from the tax requirement, so they will only accredit against nine, charities need to be thinking about all their stakeholders as well as, and making sure that they're behaving responsibly to all of them, not just focused on their on whatever their charitable work is. No, absolutely. Well, let's turn to Duncan. Duncan Farrington, the founder and MD of Farrington Oils, a uh, you know, high-profile, very well-established business now in Northamptonshire. Duncan, you've got lots of awards and accolades over the years, um, but recently have signed up for Good Business Charter. Why? Yeah, hello, Adrian. Um, yeah, because like many of the awards and accolations we have got, I think it's just common sense. Um, our, our whole business, um, as we're, we're known for our brand of, uh, mellow yellow cold pressed rapeseed oil, and that's backed by the, the farming business of which I'm a fourth generation. So I'm a, a born and bred farmer that's turned to the world of, uh, selling products out to, out to the nation, as it were. And um, it's our whole business has been backed by the environmental and sustainable credentials, and uh, namely through the the Leaf Mark um, accreditation. And I think that's a common sense approach of how to do agriculture. And then the Good Business Charter, I have been aware of it through coming to um, evenings that you've hosted at the University of Northampton, and I've, I've heard Jenny talk there before. And I thought we ought to be looking at doing this, but I've been a bit nervous about it because we've always got lots going on and always too busy and I'm full of all those usual excuses. But actually, the Good Business Charter, what uh, Jenny's just said about um, needing to meet all 10 criteria and it holds you to account, um, it is by by becoming accredited, um, I don't need to explain to people we're looking after the environment or we're, we're part of the Living Wage Foundation or, yes, of course, we pay our tax properly and, yes, we try and pay all, all of our suppliers on time or, in fact, don't try. We do pay all of our suppliers on time. I don't need to go through all those different things. I can just say um, we are part of – we're, we're accredited, accredited by the Good Business Charter and that says it all in, in one line. So um, it's common sense and it, it's a coverall for all the good things that good companies should be and many of us are already doing. Well, that's a great line, great explanation from one of the true beacons in our county. Let's just go uh, back to the business itself. You're a fourth-generation farmer, you say. Farmers usually grow things or look after livestock. You decided, was it you, your dad, whatever, the family decided to add the value by bottling 
the product. When did that, you know, when was this sudden shift in the business, uh, Duncan? And just tell us, I think you've got national, if not in, now international clients of, of, you know, the major multiples, right? Major grocery stores. Yes, absolutely. So, well, it's my idea. My father's always supported me, which um, is is refreshing because there's many farmers, you know, the farming industry is often or can be perceived as old fashioned and stuck in its ways. But my father, I came back to the family farm and the, 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 the medium sized family farm in Northamptonshire just wasn't going to create the income for when I come back and there's an extra mouth to feed and then I get married and we have children so I've always been looking at opportunities and um, uh, I, I went back to research I did at university on rapeseed which are those yellow fields we see in the springtime all around the UK and uh, from rapeseed we make rapeseed oil and that was always perceived as a cheap commodity oil but the research I did at university showed me it's absolutely a fantastic oil that's that's not very no- well known in the UK and I know Adrian you've got a, um, uh, an interest here because your wife is Spanish and obviously the, the Spanish, uh, the world's biggest producers of olive oil and olive oil is fantastic but rapeseed oil in the UK can absolutely hold its own and, and in many ways is, is healthier than olive oil and uh, I just thought I'd have a go at shaking the market up so we were the first company in the UK to grow, press and bottle cold pressed rapeseed oil on our farm in Northamptonshire we started off um, with me putting bottles in the back of my car and going around local farm shops and uh, very quickly that small business that I started to add some value and more importantly some income so I could stay on the farm as a farmer now employees I think we've got 14 or 16 people we sell it nationwide as you say and uh, we've picked up a Queen's Award on the way I was talking at a conference in London yesterday at an international bank on uh, ESG type things and uh, and uh, I was proud to say that our latest thing is a good business charter so we're going places i'm proud of what we're doing we've got a great team and uh yeah it's um i'm still a frustrated farmer but i occasionally get a chance to sit on the tractor which is um good fun yeah. as well <laughs> nice one indeed so grow press and bottle uh rapeseed oil which has all the same similar properties to olive oil you cook with it it's healthy it's better than fat and lard and uh, high boil point and all that sort of stuff queen's award for industry on on, on the way as well um and a great success story of which we're very proud here in Northamptonshire, I have to say, um, Duncan. Now, you know, you don't just, you're late, you say, signing up to the Good Business Charter. You heard me talk about it. But, you know, you're not sitting on your laurels here. You are taking very much a leadership position in responsible farming. You've got the all the accreditations, but I think you're pushing the boundaries, aren't you, in terms of soil research as well now? Yes, well, um, I've just finished a project. I was the UK case study for a European Horizon 2020 project uh, looking at soil carbon sequestration, um, which has been a privilege to be part of. And uh, this is an area that agriculture internationally can do a lot more. And actually, um, uh, the panel I was sitting on with, and I'm, I was, um, after, I've got her card with me at the moment, and uh, we're going to carry on the conversation. But I was with the former head of sustainability at the United Nations, who's a world-leading expert in this area. So um, that gives me... Uh, it's it makes life very interesting and actually agriculture is often seen as many industries you know all the the scene as part of the problem for climate change but agriculture differently to many other industries can be seen as a major part of the solution because by growing crops when the sun shines they absorb carbon dioxide put it down into the soil and uh 
agriculture globally can actually take CO2 out of the atmosphere, which is not many other industries can claim that. So I, I think a part of, you know, whether it's a GBC, whether it's Queen's Award for Enterprise, whether it's leaf mark farming or, or whether it's carbon farming um, is lots of different angles we're going at. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, as you say, we don't sit on our laurels here. There's always something more we should be doing. No, indeed. And I had the great joy. I was driving out of the university one day at about 10 to 2 and I put the Radio 4 on in the car. And there's Duncan. I said, I know that voice, Duncan, talking. Was it 39 ways to save the world or something? Great. Uh, yes, that's it with um, Tom Heap. So he was he was um, chairing the meeting yesterday. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we, we, we do bits and pieces. So a national fame. Don't tell me, are you selling rapeseed oil to the Spaniards? Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? That is a, probably a challenge a little bit too far for me at the moment. Um, the, the, the Spaniards have a, a loyal dislike to rapeseed oil. They're very nice people, but you mentioned rapeseed oil. They, they, they walk the other way in disgust, but um, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Well, actually, your reason why is years ago there was a national scandal. People died yes. from adulterated rapeseed oil, if I remember. That's probably a negative connotation. That, but anyway. That is- that's yep. that's correct. I'd, I'd imagine some disgruntled olive oil producer thought we better better novel a bit of rapeseed oil. So, uh, but uh, yeah, good God, no, no, wouldn't do that. <laughs> anyway, um, so Jenny, you must be very pleased. I mean, you've got some big names already in the Good Business Charter. You had the thousandth member was very ni- very ne- neatly at the Institute of Directors. You have some big brands. I, I would imagine you're very pleased to get an organisation, medium sized business like uh, Farrington Oils, on board. Yeah, it is really inspiring to hear Duncan speak of all that he's done. And when I heard him speak at the Sustainability Summit last year, I thought, well, they they should join the Good Business Charter. They really should be part of this. But what I think is so inspiring is that there are what we what we might call small businesses because 14 to 16 staff, but actually doing incredible work, really innovative and and there are so many small businesses up and down the country. Most of them, I would say, are are passionate about treating people and planet well and mm. so we've that's why we work with the fsb to make sure that we had this version for small businesses as well and it is we are just delighted to have farrington oils on board we're we're delighted to work with the university and, and we just love to keep that momentum going in northamptonshire just get more and more businesses saying well yeah we we stand by this we hold ourselves to these principles and and then what we can do with that is we can say right general public of northamptonshire why don't you look out for the accredited stamp and choose to shop with uh, work for the businesses that you know are accredited and more and more young people care about this so there's there's really a an exciting direction of travel that you can see as as, uh, as we grow no, indeed. Well, you've both been on the show before and you know, we heard different stories. It's great to have you both together. Now, um, we, well, I don't know if Dun- Duncan's aware, but Jenny and I have tried for the last, how long? Two and a half years to get well, Northamptonshire to be the first place-based good business charter scheme. York City is the first, um, sorry, first county-based, right? York City is the first place-based scheme. Jenny, just tell us a little bit about that. And, and perhaps from, from then from both of you, you know, what message would you give to our perhaps local authorities? I think we need the local authorities. We need a big employer like the NHS or Barclay Card, as well as, you know, two or three anchor um, organizations to join. But Jenny, firstly, place-based scheme, just give us a little bit of a flavor for what that is. Yeah, so in June 2021, we launched York as a GBC city. What that means is that the key anchors 
are accredited. So the council at that stage, York University, the NHS Trust, Aviva is a big employer here in York. So they were also accredited. Uh, and then use that to really promote it to all businesses in the city and just really make it part of the narrative. And the council have done a great job of just really embedding it and say, and the um, York St. John University have also accredited, we want to get more independent shops on the high street accrediting and, and just say, well, this this is a great city to come and work, to come and shop, to come and invest. And this is why, because we are doing all parts of the Good Business Charter. There's a lot of employment, char- well, there's quite a few employment charters around, but they tend to stop just at employees and they don't cover those other areas around customers and the environment and suppliers. Mm. So what we would love to see in Northamptonshire is is to bring those two councils on board and get behind it and say, actually, rather than creating our own we say here's something that's been tried and tested in the business world and works and as Duncan says it brings everything together in one place um wouldn't it be great if if the councils could own that could be in a position to accredit and then spread the word and and ultimately what we want to be able to do is raise the bar raise Mm. the bar for business behavior Uh, and we want to do that one by one and, and there will come a tipping point won't there where people think oops we better change our behavior so that we can accredit and that's that's where we want to be indeed well thank you for that explanation has the, has the place-based scheme you know um given you more traction noticeably more traction more brand awareness in york definitely what i find really interesting is when there's something in, in the local newspaper maybe they're complaining about a company and they say we're going to write to the council to ask them to invite them to a credit with a good business charter as a way of raising the bar so i think it has definitely become something that that they are proud of and and, and rightly should be and um and gives that framework to say well look yeah, especially in a city like york where we're up here in the north but but housing costs are high the real living wage needs to be championed and and doing that as a wider part of the good business charter is also really uh, powerful mm. so are we still on course we could still be the first county could we or you first... are still you are still on course adrian yes there's no one else uh, uh in line just yet working right. with a few other areas but but not not at a county level as such duncan what can we do about this what would be your message to our local civic leaders yeah, well, my, my first message is uh, one of apologies to Jenny and, and yourself, probably, Adrian, because I first learned about this, I don't know whether it is a year or 18 months ago, as I said, at um, one of your evenings at the university. And, and I know there's another day, um, Jenny was there and we did, I think last year, an environmental or sustainable day. And Jenny said, come on, Duncan, you really must do it. It's actually quite straightforward. But of course, you go back home and you go back with all these these exciting thoughts and then the day job gets in the way and I just we just didn't find the time to apply so I took someone on um, at the end of last year um, as a student just to do a few of these bits and pieces and I said right here's a nice project for you can you have a look what the good business charter involves and see can we you know we do it we're already ticking many of the boxes I'm sure well, actually, Jenny, it turned out it is so easy. Now, I, I say that as a leader of a company that does do the many of the other things. And a couple of years ago, we signed up to the Real Living Wage and the Living Wage Foundation. So obviously, companies, if they don't already have um, employment contracts or living wage or um, um, 
environmental um, accreditations in place, they would find it a lot harder. But there's many good companies out there that just a, a day or two going through your website and your application process, um, and uh, we did it. So my words of encouragement are don't hang around and wait for it to come to you. Go out, look for it, do it. And I think most a lot of companies will be surprised that um, they're already doing most of the things, so you might as well get the accreditation. No, indeed. Well, I know you're a busy guy, but will you help me on this campaign to like a snowball? Let's see if we can get more businesses. You know, we've got Rachel Mallows and the food and drink sector that you're intimately involved with, of course. But uh, let's go and have a chat with the local authorities one of these days because they know it's on their radar. We just haven't quite crossed the line, have we, Jenny? We're very close, I think. We're very close, but we just haven't quite done it yet. So that's a, a goal for what? July, August, December 2024, Jenny, what do you think? We'll just keep trying, won't we? I think obviously, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a funny old year with the election, but um, you know, it's the real living wage. But we start with the people, and the, the whole point of the real living wage is that it is independently calculated as what people can live on. Mm. So you know, we just got to just got to do it and accept that 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 everyone needs that amount of money to live on, and and we've just got to flex our business models to make that work. I think. Indeed. Well, other than, um, you know, radio interviews today, and you're on the same show, by the way, as Nick Hewer of The Apprentice fame. So he's going to be on next Tuesday. What other exciting things are happening um, around the, the Good Business Week? You know, any other highlights that um, you can say we should look out for? Uh, well, highlights are, uh, well, actually, we're just looking forward to lots of organisations sharing case studies, uh, videos, different things they're doing. We may have a, an announcement tomorrow around an accreditation, so um, watch this space. And mm. our annual report will be coming out on Saturday, which is our actual anniversary. So that just looks back over the year, uh, some of the um, some of our highlights and, uh, and uh, some of our metrics. So... Um, and, and I'm wondering about popping down to York on Thursday and seeing how many Good Business Week posters I might see up in windows <laughs> and just uh, create a bit of excitement around that too. Good. I've seen them when I've been walking around New York when my daughter was studying there. Contact details. If people want to find out more, they're in a business, they're running a business, and then, do you know what? Let me give it a go. How do they find out about uh, Good Business Charter, Jenny? So goodbusinesscharter.com is our website. There's a page there, Good Business Week, if you want to get involved in the week and just get excited and share stuff on socials. Uh, but once you get onto our website, there's a button for apply. But, you know, if you've got any questions, just go to the Contact Us page and it'll get an email through to us and we we want to support you, help you uh, understand any challenges. And if you're in a sector where you think, oh, you haven't got anyone in that sector, I don't think it works for us. I really want to hear from you because we have designed this uh, so that it does work for, well, so that hopefully it does work for all sectors. So, um, so yeah, what's stopping you? Okay, thank you. And Duncan, we'll find out about your products, obviously, a great range and a very good-looking range it is too. But to find out about the values behind the farm as well, where would you direct our listeners? Yeah, so what we're um, launching in uh, the next few days, we're actually doing what we call a um, going to name a values campaign. So we're going to do that on our social media. We'll we'll put blogs on our website and we're going to go right through value for money uh the value the nutritional values and and then right through to the esg values and that's where the the gbc comes into it because it's all of a part of a, a joined up approach and uh, and uh, i've got uh, data showing that actually even in a cost of living crisis more and more people are looking to make the right choices in their um, consumer choices. So I think that the time is right and um, we just need to get on and, and do it. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you very much to both of you taking the time in very, very um, busy schedules. I know that, especially planning a week next week and dunk with all the things that you're doing. Um, great pleasure to talk to you both. Jenny Herrera, the CEO of the Good Business Charter based in York, but national scheme. Duncan Farrington, founder and managing director of Farrington Oils, a true beacon of light in Northamptonshire. Many thanks to you both. Keep safe, keep well and keep up the good work. NLive's Community Notice Board, sponsored by Voluntary Impact Northamptonshire, supporting existing and helping to launch good neighbour schemes across Northampton. Homestart Northampton supports families with young children. They provide expert support helping families through their challenging times. Homestart is there for parents when they need them the most because childhood can't wait. Volunteers offer support, friendship and practical help to families under stress in their own homes, preventing family crisis and breakdown. If you are a parent grandparent or step-parent with experience of young children and family life and are able to visit a Northampton family for two to three hours each week then get in contact call them on 01604 627 692 NLive's Community Notice Board sponsored by Voluntary Impact Northamptonshire supporting existing and helping to launch good neighbour schemes across Northampton to get your message on air email noticeboard at nliveradio.com 106.9 NLive. Take the next step to growing your business at Your Business Expo 2024. Set to be Northamptonshire's largest B2B exhibition, Your Business Expo is happening on February the 7th at Cywell Airdrome. It's the place to network, meet local vendors, and hear what our expert speakers have to say. Your Business Expo is a free-to-attend event with free parking. And if you're considering exhibiting, networking, or visiting, register now at yourbusinessexpo.co.uk. Your Business Expo 2024, powered by Business Times Newspaper. Hey you, yes you there, are you listening to this? Well, if you're listening, so are potential customers to your shop, business or service. Advertising on NLive is easy and good value. It's a great way to reach new customers, let them know about who you are and what you do. And radio advertising works. Radio has the power to entertain, educate and engage an audience. And with advertising on NLive, that same audience could become your customers. For more information, contact sales at nliveradio.com. When business owners, directors and key decision makers want to know what's happening in Northamptonshire, they turn to Business Times. Over 10,000 copies are delivered every month and the pages are filled with positive local business stories. Respected, trusted and always relevant. Business Times is the perfect way to get your business in front of the people that matter. So get Business Times working for you. Click business-times.co.uk Business Times. Positive about business in North Hands. At NNBN, we support local businesses, charities, and organizations. We bring local people together. We promote growth and success, and we support our members. NNBN has a proven track record in helping members of our community get seen and be heard. It costs from just £20 a month to become a member, and you'll benefit from advertising, events, engagement, support, and money-saving discounts. If you're a local business, charity, or organization, join us today at nnbn.co.uk. Northampton first, N Live.
Well, a second ABBA song there, because I know many of you do enjoy the songs that I um, encourage you to tap your feet to, dance around the kitchen table to, or even shout out and sing out loud to. And that was, of course, ABBA with Dancing Queen, just to keep, um, you know, the dancing theme going. There was some very powerful music last week from Simon Cox. We like to have upbeat music here as well. Many thanks to Jenny Herrera and to Duncan Farrington for telling us about Good Business Week. Next up, though, Chris Smith, Development Manager from the Derngate, talking about an auction that everyone can participate in with some great prizes. And um, Chris is coming up after this. Like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything that traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. Yesterday they told you you would not go you open and there you are next day on your dressing room they've hung a star let's go on with the show the 
costumes, the scenery, the makeup, the props, the audience that lifts you when you're down. The headaches, the heartaches, the backaches, the flops, the sheriff who escorts you out of town. The opening when your heart beats like a drum. The closing when the customers don't come. There's no business like no business like no business I know. You get word before the show has started that your favorite uncle died at dawn. And top of that, your partner has parted. You're broken hearted, but you go on. There's no people like no people. They smile when they are low. Even with a turkey that you know will hold, you may be stranded out in the cold. You wouldn't change it for a sack of gold. Let's go on with the show. Let's go on with the show. Well, a few weeks ago, we had Joe Gordon, the chief executive officer of uh, the Royal Endurngate, that wonderful uh, jewel that we have in Northampton. Um, great theatre. If you don't go, do go. Plenty going on. But now I'm pleased to welcome one of Joe's colleagues, the development manager, Chris Smith, who's going to tell us a little bit about, well, A, his role, and B, a very interesting initiative that's on this week, and it's not too late to participate. But, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, indeed. Um, you've been with the Durngate for just over a year, you were telling me. Yes, uh, thanks, Adrian. It's great to be great to be here with you. Uh, yes, I have. I joined uh, Royal and Gate back in November uh, 2022, um, just on the cusp of uh, the pantom- pantomime that year, actually, which is quite a um, quite a um, baptism of fire, let's say. Um, but over the course of the last 12 months, um, just to kind of give you a little bit of an overview of, of what I do, um, I'm very much the sort of go-to um, point for any sort of business relations that we have, and I, and I manage those club members accordingly and, and make sure that they're getting everything out of their membership and, 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 and realise that actually their investment is is really well-placed and the sort of difference that it makes uh, in terms of our produced work and the, the just the just the way we can remain operational, as it were, and the same goes for our sort of uh, our, our regular members, um, that um, our, our regular attenders, and, and want to invest um, a little bit more personally, let's say, um, into into the output that we do, and uh, we we have the opportunity of of meeting with them um, on a quite regular basis across the year, um, as well as as fundraising as well, which is obviously a really important part of our charitable status, and it, it allows us to kind of focus on certain areas that may need. It's slightly more a bit of a leg up, let's say, in terms of uh, uh, financial boost, uh, especially when you know you have certain uh, mitigations that come into play, and, and finances sometimes maybe have to be kind of labelled elsewhere. Mm. Well, you know, you obviously had a tough couple of years with COVID, etc. Then the um, the concrete in the in the roof issue when the theatres had to be closed. So, um, and and you are very much a community based theatre, doing an awful lot for the community, which perhaps isn't so commercial. So fundraising a big. A big part of what you do and what the, you know the 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 theatre needs. And as I said earlier on, if you haven't been, go. It's a wonderful experience, and you're helping the great asset, one of the top, I think, fifteen theatres in the country. But um, th- there's a particular initiative that's on this week, uh, Chris. Just tell us a little bit about that and how our listeners can help or participate. 
Of course. So um, folks may not realise, but our Durngate Auditorium uh, opened in 1983, which meant it was 40 years old in um, April of last year. Um, obviously, with the sort of issues that you mentioned there, uh, we've kind of re, uh, re-ramped our, um, our 40th year into a 40th season, which is kind of starting to take shape again from the beginning of, of this year. And we're starting that off by hosting an online auction um, for folks to get involved, um, bid on some items that have all been kind of kindly donated by local businesses um within the northampton uh, region um and it's kind of a, a really nice way of of kind of you know, demonstrating that sort of uh, communal um, support that we've experienced, as you say, throughout our period of closures, and and also know that your donations are going straight to the theatre. Obviously, getting some fantastic items to to uh, out of that. I mean, what I will say is that obviously with um with, with our um with our auction asks, which are, we're looking to kind of refurbish the seating within our Durngate Auditorium and and maintain our access provision, which basically is our, our BSL interpreter performances or um audio described or audio captured performances that we we do across our um, across our work to try and keep those maintained and offer more and expand the way we can make our venue slightly more accessible um, and just to kind of make people realize that actually the, our fundraising exists to in order for the community like you say enjoy um, the, the, the the variety of programming that we have to offer of which the auction actually um, uh, demonstrates some of that yeah 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 well you know one might say why should we give uh, donate to a a middle class sort of um uh, charity or, or middle class um venue but the truth is that you do do an awful lot for the community and of course the community benefits from the well-being effects and you know when you have the community choir or the acting groups or the youth groups i mean there is so much going on i've always been amazed at the width and breadth you know not just mamma mia's in town again or whatever <laughs> and in fact i'm coming very soon to see the mousetrap and sir ranulph fiends so i've i've uh i was telling joe i've got booked three things as christmas present for my wife one was the shen yun dance spectacular spectacular uh and then the mousetrap and uh which i'm looking forward to i never saw when i lived in london and um sir ranulph fiends as well so there's an awful uh lot going on now listeners probably say adrian you're, you know you're, you're very supportive um well i am actually because i i am one of the what was it circle members i think yeah, uh with director the, circle members quite correct. director yes. circle member and um just you know very passionate uh, about it and in fact um have donated a prize as well so there you go declaring my interest here but it's a nice prize hopefully it's some wine so if anybody wins the wine just do think of that old guy on the radio adrian <laughs> price but anyway so you sound very enthusiastic obviously enjoying your role there this is an important Absolutely. initiative how long is it running for and how do people get to sign up for it or get involved so the auction launched um yesterday so that was monday the 5th um and that's running for a week until there's coming Monday the 12th and that closes at 6 p.m. The easiest way of getting involved is quite simply just to visit the um, the, uh, the theatre website, which is uk. You can follow the links through to, to the auction there. Um, we also do have a bespoke website, which is um, auction. And um, as you go through the links, you just need to sign up and register and then you'll be able to, to bid away um, on that. I mean, it is obviously, um, we are incredibly humbled by the way the community rally around and the, and, you know, the, the kind donation from 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 businesses and folks obviously such as yourself as well which is really going to make a big difference and any sort of any sort of bid that we do receive is obviously going to be sort of very grace gratefully received so it's a it's a blind auction and the highest bidder 
gets the prize, right? Is that what, yeah, so when, um, yeah, if you you make a bid, and, and if let's say um, somebody else then places another bid, um, you get a little notification to tell you that that's the case. Um, you, it's a little bit different to say like eBay. You know, if you're trying to bid at the very last moment, they're watching the clock count down. There will there is a sort of sort of let's say um, a, a time where, it, in interest of fairness, it kind of will extend if you if you make a new bid closer to the to the end of the auction. But yeah, like I say, just just easiest way is just get online register um through our auction site which has been kindly maintained by our partners auction marketer and um see what we have to offer well i'm going to get on it right now and see so will i know when i go on any particular item will i know what the last or the highest bidder is there and then yeah, so the, the current bid, bid is, is currently displayed um as, as and when you look at the um as you as and when you look at the items yeah so you'll be able to know kind of where where the bid is at and whether you'd like to um place the next bid Indeed. How many prizes and what's the top prize, top value prize? Oh, well, you, you, well, so first of all, we've got 26 different lots and they do vary from um, comedy season tickets. So like the variety of stand-up comedians that we have coming through. So you can kind of buy um, some tickets to come and see those. Um, what, one thing that really did stand out for me, I wouldn't necessarily say in, in a monetary value, but certainly in sort of um, money can buy value, let's say, is um, within our um, Royal Workshop, we kind of overhaul our workshop every now and again. Um, and the team have created a bespoke piece of artwork that was been that been created from some of that that some of our made northampton productions which is our own produced work have been um created on so there's a you know there's a really good opportunity there to own a little piece of or big piece uh, depending on which one you look at um of of rolling don't get history there and would probably make quite the conversational piece i would say if that was um hung on your wall well it certainly does wow and probably that will people will bid very high for that. Well, look, sounds absolutely fabulous. Very exciting. Uh, royalanddurngate.co.uk will lead you to the auction or royalanddurngate.auction. Now, royalanddurngate, is that and or is that ampliside? Yeah, it's the word and, yes. So spell it out. royalanddurngate.co.uk, royalanddurngate.auction. 26 lots, some really fascinating prizes to be won. Well, if that's the right word, prize. Yeah, prizes to be won. And yeah. all in aid of a great cause, the jewel, really, one of the jewels of Northampton and Northamptonshire. Chris, great pleasure to have you on the show we'll have you on again one of these days perhaps um you know having had joe recently i think we've um hopefully let everyone know that the Durngate is alive and kicking um do come on again maybe even for a short one just after the auction tell me how it went and did you hit your targets but really grateful for you to come on the show thank you so much and i hope that our listeners will go and take a look if nothing else out of curiosity for those wonderful prizes 106.9 n live well, nice one, Chris. Hopefully you enjoyed There's No Business Like Show Business. A nice nod to uh, the, the theatre and the stage. And uh, really interesting original idea there in terms of an auction for um, the Durngate to raise some funds, much needed funds to keep our crown jewel in Northamptonshire, one of our crown jewels anyway, going with um, having had a couple of tough years, I have to say. But yes, please do, because they do so much for the local community. Okay, next up are a group of students from the second year. They'll introduce themselves and they were tasked with doing an interview with somebody that has foreign trade or works or lives abroad or foreign trade. It's part of their BA International Business Management degree. Um, They're in the second year and they have to do some sort of reflections on foreign experience. And we ask them to interview somebody that has changed countries or deals with a different country. Um, so I hope you enjoy the students. It's the first of several we'll be airing in the next few weeks. And it's coming up after status quo, of course, who are, as always, rocking all over the world. Here we are, here we are, and here we are. 
My name is Malaikatani. With me is Joshua and Moya Sala. We are students of University of Northampton, currently in our second year studying international business. Joining us, welcoming our special guest with us, a very hardworking petrol station manager who has navigated the complexities of cultural differences in Sri Lanka and United Kingdom. He will share his insights, expertise and experiences in the dynamic industry from managing fuel investors to ensuring customer satisfaction and maintaining safety standards. This radio interview will be played on the NLive radio program headlined by Adrian Price as join me in welcoming Mr. Andrew. So please sit back, tune in and join us as we explore the world of petrol station management with our esteemed Hughes. Hello Andrew, how are you? I'm good Zali, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Uh, the weather is very cold today. Come on man, this is UK, this is what yeah, we expect more. It is, yeah. and thank you so much for giving your time. No worries, no worries, all the time. Yeah, so before I start the interview, I want to mention one thing, like I'm working here with you for like two years. And you're the most hardworking and responsible guy I've ever seen in my life. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. But yeah. I think I think there's so many people who are harder than me. But I do my best. That's all. That's all matters. Thank you. So, should we start now? Yeah, yeah, questions? sure, sure, you can. So, my first question is, uh, how did cultural differences between Sri Lanka and the UK impact your day-to-day operations as a petrol station manager? Yeah, um, basically managing petrol station in both Sri Lanka and UK meant adapting diverse culture norms, affecting everything from customer interaction to the team dynamics. Yeah, that's perfect. So were there any specific culture nuances that influence customers' preferences or service expectations in both countries? Absolutely. In Sri Lanka, personal relationships are paramount. Impacting customers' loyalty in in UK, efficiency and convenience often took uh, precedence. Thank you so much for the answer. So, how did you adapt your management style to accommodate cultural variations in the workplace in Sri Lanka and the UK? It's mostly flexible was the key. In Sri Lanka, more uh, familiarized approach worked well. Uh, while in the UK, a uh, structure and task-oriented management style was more eff- effective. Uh, hello, Mr. Andrew. So let me start by introducing myself. So I'm Joshua. Hi, buddy. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Yes, fine. Nice to meet yeah. you too. Yeah, it's so nice to see another Sri Lankan in front of me. Oh, I'm and really happy to see you, right? You know, thank I you. After a long time. And also, you. it is really nice the fact that. I'm proud of the fact that uh, what I've heard from your colleagues that you're very hardworking and uh, really. you've really done really good for the business and really proud Thanks, for that. Man. Thank you. As a fellow Sri Lankan. So, Mr. Andrew, whereabout are you from? I'm basically from Vaunia. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I brought up in Vaunia, so born and brought up in Vaunia. Oh, that's then nice. I just moved to Colombo for my for the education. Oh, and that's just, nice. And then worked there and then just come back here. Oh, wow, that's yeah. amazing because I myself also was brought up from Vaughan as well. Really? Like, yeah, me, my dad, mom, and my sister, we all lived oh, in Vaughan really? as well. Okay. Yeah. So I came a couple of years back, you know, to, for the studies. Okay. And now we're all of us uh, classmates. Oh, that's yeah. good, that's yeah. good, man. So 
how was your um, like when I came to UK from Sri Lanka like there's a big difference when it comes to culture yeah, yeah. and for me I saw like loads of differences big differences in uh, comparison to UK and Sri Lanka every aspect even weather people yeah it's true yeah. yeah so what's your take on that um i don't know that's that's uh, i'll agree with you first thing but i mean there's so many cultural difference uh, there and here uh basically if you like uh if you if you like you know for for example i'm saying this like you know if yeah. you in sri lanka um in the petrol pumps and then uh, all the customer they can fill up their own car Yeah. For example, right? Yeah. So they can fill up their own car and they just come and they pay and then they just walk away. Yeah. But in, in here, it's, uh, it's slightly different. Yeah. Uh, slightly, you know, you need to, um, you need to authorize yeah. um, by the cashier and then you fill up and then you come and pay. And then, uh, I think that's it. And also what I found interesting is also, in Sri Lanka, I noticed, you know, When you go to these fuel pumps, yeah, there's always this person who's assigned to put petrol in your yeah, car. Yeah, that's, you that's, that? uh, that's why yeah. I want to say that I think I wish to... Yeah. Basically, in Sri Lanka, like, there's uh, always uh, like a pump person will be there. Yes. So they fill it up for you every single time. I think yeah. I've seen it for nearly 20 yeah. years. Wow. Every single time you go there, there's a person on the pumps and then they will fill it up for you. Nice. You yeah. pay. But they're introducing in UK also. I mean, they have same similar systems, yeah. but it's not effectively uh, compared to the Sri Lankan. It's not a massive amount of uh, persons are working for the uh, customers. Yeah. Um, but it's mostly the digital service is the main in UK. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's that's different. Yeah. But it's very nice also to see the fact that, you know, when I was back home and I saw Shell company, you know, to yeah. put fuel. And when I come to UK, I see the same company, but it's very different. Like yeah. we we're just talking, you know, it's very different. Also, I was thinking, you know, um, when it comes to fuel stations like back home we don't have any shops to buy anything in the yeah, fuel that's station a massive yeah. you know that's massive question man because uh, uh, I sometimes think like you know I sometimes think about the business wise yeah. I always uh, think about that you know if, if Sri Lanka also if they do the same kind of thing like in a shop inside yes. convenience store inside and then that will make a more more sale and then it's it's a Uh, available for everyone yeah you know true. so th- that would make sense mm-hmm. but i never seen that on like i think last 20 years or something uh, i in sri lanka i never seen those kind of improvements on that yeah but i think if they had if they, if they do those things it will improve so much of businesses yeah that's and so it will convenience for everyone yeah like, it's nice. simply convenience yeah thank yeah. you yeah. andrew also i went home last year in december i went back oh, really? to sri lanka yeah it was nice But uh, if you remember, there was a fuel shortage. You remember? Yeah, worldwide. I heard about the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah I heard about the news. So yeah. when I went back home, I remember it was really a big uh, challenge for us to get fuel. Mm. So they had like a QR code, you know, back home to scan, and only each vehicle can have about 20 liters. If That's I'm right, bad. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So every vehicle have to scan the QR code and per week. Really? So, you know, most of us will like struggle so, to travel. So you mean like a 20 liters per week? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Come Max, on, here yeah. like we do like 400, 500. Exactly. Sometimes they will do yeah. simply 400, 500 liters. That's simply. what I was thinking. Like the big drastic, like, I mean, all those Shell, the same company, look at the difference in Sri wow. Lanka, which is my country, and then in UK here, the big difference, the fact that UK is always stocked up with fuel and they're ready for any challenges and the yeah. way they face it is very different compared to there, isn't it? 
mostly I just want to point out one thing. I mean, yeah, compared sure. to Sri Lanka and UK, there's a massive difference. In Sri Lanka, uh, they think about just next five years somewhere what they're going to do. Yeah. But the UK is more different on that. They mm-hmm. like they will plan next fifty years. They're going to yeah, what they're going to so do. True. Like you know, they will plan ahead of it, and yeah. then they will store up. They will do all the things uh, according to that plan. So I think yeah. it's, it's, compared to the uh, Sri Lankan. A UK, the UK has more clever ideas. Yeah, oh, know? that's so good. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so I'm going to ask a question. Yeah. So my question for you is: Can you share some instances like where cultural understanding played a crucial role in resolving issues or improving customer satisfaction at the petrol station? Yeah, uh, understanding local expectation help resolving the service issues. For instance, mm-hmm. personal uh, personalized greeting in Sri Lanka, and then streamlined process in the UK. So that's works. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, that's kind of which work in that yeah, way. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Thank you for that. And also, in your experience, like, was there any notable differences, like? In regulatory environment for petrol stations between Sri Lanka and UK, and also when these challenges happen, how do you navigate the variances? Yeah, things like uh, regulatory landscaping varies significantly. Uh, adapting to each country standards required continuous learning and meticulous compliance measures. Right. Okay. I'm sure when it comes to regulations, Sri Lanka, which is a developing country, yeah, and UK itself is a developing it's country. So there must be a really contrastic difference it when it comes mass- to regulations. Massive difference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. True. 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 So my next question for you is: How did cultural factors influence the relationships you built, like with your staff, with your customers? And also all your suppliers in each location. So you have your shell company. Yeah, basically building trust involved a trailer relationship. Uh, more personal in Sri Lanka, more professional in UK. You know UK, right? That they expert true. everything professionally. Yes. It was uh, crucial for effective uh, collaboration. Yes. Um, That's so true. Like in any business, I think not just when it comes to shell, we see trust is like the key, key yeah, for sure. a business to grow. Mm-hmm. I think because the way I've seen loads of shell, you know, companies around UK and Sri Lanka, and I'm sure they'll be opening in different other countries, they have shell as well. The fact that they keep expanding shows how much building trust and how yeah. much relationships they're building, not just in yeah. this country, but also in other countries as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, the way they're expanding is just on many levels. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Mr. Andrew, for answering my colleagues. Yes, I'm Moyesola, by the way. It's nice yeah. to meet you, yes. sir. Can you say the name again? Sorry. Moyesola. Moyesola. Yeah, nice yes. to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you very much for answering my colleagues. Yes, my And also, I hope we're not bothering you with too much questions, yeah? Hope not, not, not really. Too much pressure on you. <laughs> no, no, not really. Yeah, Mr. Andrew, I would like to ask you a few questions um, about people's time management and some communication skills. Um, you being a manager, leading people from different backgrounds, yeah. beliefs, countries, and uh, you know tribes, how do you cope with people time management? Okay, basically, um, I don't really struggle with the time management uh, on on behalf of this because at the shell they already have a plan, right? right? So even though before they recruit people, 
it doesn't matter which background you are from uh, which country you are from so uh, it, what religion you are from it, it doesn't matter it's they just stick a plan before you they give you 24 hours training for everyone and then they have every, every single time they explain about the how was you working and then mostly like you know we um uh, mostly like uh, we have rotas and we have a plan for every single things in oh, in, in here shall very good so i never struggled with that mostly uh, you know it was sometimes this happened but most of the time it's it, it, it's not the case for me yeah yeah i was just asking because we i been in nigerian hmm. there's something called african time okay. so most times you know our time management is a bit poor but we're actually improving on that <laughs> <laughs> really yeah and okay. also so how do you cope with uh people's communication skills because because of your diversity you you know employing yeah, it's, British it's a little bit challenging I would say because most of the time if English people is alright because their own language yeah. so they're okay with that but other than that most of the time uh, we have uh, language barriers you know language barrier means like when foreign peoples comes on work yeah. they always struggle with uh, languages and then it's hard to understand uh, what people say but it's it's all about training train yeah. them again and again and again you keep on just telling them what to say you know how to treat the customer we mostly we have one slogan saying treat the customer like a guest yeah. so every single customer so you need to like you know eye contact speak with them very nicely hi hello thanks so those things those things are the main important words we're going to use it every day in our business so um, mostly we struggle in the beginning but i mean when the times goes up they all catch up with that Wow, very good. Thank you so much for that, uh, Mr. Andrew. And also, how do you manage um, challenges arising with people from, you know, multicultural background? Because, you know, let's say I've been in Sri Lanka and mm. this one being in India, and maybe uh, something has happened at each other's country. With, like, some people take it more personal. Like, um, it's my actually in the team work and team management. Yeah. So how do you cope with that? Yeah, basically, like, no, that's a good question, mate. But the basic... Uh, basic thing is in Shell or anywhere in UK the basic thing is before we hire people we just tell them we take zero tolerance about uh, these cultural things okay. so you can't even imagine like sometimes it happens sometimes people complain about the other people other religion they do that but they have a clear idea that you can't talk about these things oh, because it will be rude and then they're they are really bad at here like you know if you do those kind of things, you know? Oh. Um, also, I want to speak a little bit about people's religion. Yeah, but let's say being a Muslim, do you allow them to go for their uh, prayers, prayers on yes, Fridays? Yes. And Christians, I, do you give them like a Sunday off for their religion or maybe some time? I don't I yes, don't know. I just wanted to like explain a little bit about that. It is it's true. I mean, I nearly have nearly four Muslim people's works up here. Wow, that's good. Right. I, every single time when they want to go to prayers or anything... Uh, I always say I'll go and stick in the till and then I will tell them, okay, go and pray and then come back. You know, it's, it's 10 minutes time. It's not going to, uh, I'm not going to lose anything on that. But in the, in the same time, like it's most of the time the Christmases and everything. Uh, so I just, you know, arrange it according to that. You know, I ask Muslim people, some Christian people want the Christmas holiday so you guys can work on the, you know, cover up each other's side. You know, I, I, yeah, that's okay. Um, thank you very much, Mr. Andrew. Um, is there any way or plans on the show company implement any location-specific marketing 
it might be based on maybe promotion strategies or like based on like the cultural insight to like enhance or promote the business in UK and Sri Lanka. Yeah, absolutely. Customers' promotion to align with cultural preferences significantly boosted engagement and customer loyalty in both regions. Yeah, customer loyalty is very important yes, because yeah. it actually enhances trade. Yeah. It improves trade and uh, it also improves uh, companies' market share. That's true. That's and true. lastly, Mr. Andre, yes, before man. we wrap it up, um, can you please just give us like a memorable experience, like just share an experience for us that will highlight the cultural impact uh, about awareness, you know, cultural awareness on your efficiency and effectiveness. You being the, the international petrol station manager of uh, Shell, both in Sri Lanka and in the UK. Can you just give us like, like a brief example, please? Uh, the one memorial instance involved uh, resolving a complaint in Sri Lanka through the personalized communication, highlighting that power of culture, sensitivity in customer satisfactions. Fascinating. Yes. Thank you very much for providing great insight for me and my colleagues. And thank you for sharing your experience on how cultural awareness are actually shaping your role as a petrol station manager in a diverse situation. Because we believe diversity is very important. And it actually helps us, you know, enhance challenges we face and promote peace. Thank you very much, Mr. Andrew. NLive's Community Notice Board, sponsored by Voluntary Impact Northamptonshire, supporting existing and helping to launch good neighbour schemes across Northampton. Homestart Northampton supports families with young children. They provide expert support helping families through their challenging times. Homestart is there for parents when they need them the most because childhood can't wait. Volunteers offer support, friendship and practical help to families under stress in their own homes, preventing family crisis and breakdown. If you are a parent, grandparent or step-parent with experience of young children and family life and are able to visit a Northampton family for two to three hours each week, then get in contact. Call them on 01604 627 NLive's Community Notice Board, sponsored by Voluntary Impact Northamptonshire, supporting existing and helping to launch good neighbour schemes across Northampton. To get your message on air, email noticeboard at nliveradio.com. 106.9 NLive. When your business teams up with Unitemps, you get access to some of the top graduates the University of Northampton has to offer. High-caliber staff right here on your doorstep. Unitemps is committed to finding you the right candidates for the positions you've got available, making filling full or part-time or even temporary jobs simple, whilst ensuring you've a talent pool for the future. Unitemps Northampton sees tomorrow's leaders today. Visit unitemps.co.uk and click Northampton. It's here. The latest edition of NN Pulse magazine is out now. So if you want to know what's happening in and around Northamptonshire, pick up a copy today. Packed full of local news, reviews, articles, places to go, style, tradespeople and more. NN Pulse magazine is your glossy guide to life round here. Pick up a copy and you won't want to put it down. Keep an eye out for it coming through your door or get it from outlets across the county. NN Pulse, the magazine at the heart of Northamptonshire. To advertise your business in NN Pulse, click pulsemagazine.co.uk. Hey you, yes you there, 
Are you listening to this? Well, if you're listening, so are potential customers to your shop, business, or service. Advertising on NLive is easy and good value. It's a great way to reach new customers, let them know about who you are and what you do. And radio advertising works. Radio has the power to entertain, educate, and engage an audience. And with advertising on NLive, that same audience could become your customers. For more information, contact sales at nliveradio.com. When business owners, directors, and key decision makers want to know what's happening in Northamptonshire, they turn to Business Times. Over 10,000 copies are delivered every month, and the pages are filled with positive local business stories. Respected, trusted, and always relevant. Business Times is the perfect way to get your business in front of the people that matter. So get Business Times working for you. Click business-times.co.uk. Business Times. Positive about business in North Hans. At NNBN, we support local businesses, charities, and organizations. We bring local people together. We promote growth and success, and we support our members. NNBN has a proven track record in helping members of our community get seen and be heard. It costs from just £20 a month to become a member, and you'll benefit from advertising, events, engagement, support, and money-saving discounts. If you're a local business, charity, or organization, join us today at nnbn.co.uk. Big Town, Big Sound. Northampton's own 106.9 N Live. Well, many thanks to our students there for uh, giving us a very interesting interview with a very interesting guest, I have to say, who um, clearly uh, thinks very deeply about what he does. Um, who'd have thought? Uh, and what an interesting insight into life in, in uh, Sri Lanka as well. All right, we're coming towards the end of the show, but boy, a little bit of glamour, a little bit of uh, TV fame um, just to shine on us uh, from somebody that you will know very well who lives in Northamptonshire, perhaps not for much longer. But anyway, um, star of stage and screen, no, star of the TV's The Apprentice and also Countdown. We're going to be talking to Nick Hewer, and the interview with Nick is coming up after this.
Well, my next guest is somebody that you might have heard of if you watch fairly regularly, but it is um, somebody who describes himself as a business communicator. I think that's coming from a PR background, but a, a media presenter, now retired, or he pretends to be retired. I think he's still working as hard as ever. But it's a very big warm welcome to Nick Hewer of The Apprentice fame, of Countdown fame, and many other claims to fame indeed. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Um Let's firstly say you do actually have an association with Northampton and the county, don't you? Absolutely. I live here in the county, a little village just outside uh, near Road, near Quinton, um, and I love it. Um, But it could be that before long I head for Buckinghamshire because we've got a house that's too big for the two of us and we've decided to downsize as soon as the market picks up. Well, that's a, that's a big question as to when. And I will be ashamed to lose you because I know you do a lot in the county. You've been very much, I think, associated with the, the Northamptonshire Business Excellence Awards over the years. Is that right? As a judge. That's right. And, and indeed this year too, I've just, just been given the dates and, um, it's, it's a great event, you know. It's a wonderful event. And also I get involved a little bit in the food and drinks, um, uh, awards, which is huge as well. So, Northampton has got a real business buzz about it, and I'm, I'm full of uh, praise for this county. No, it's fantastic, and I think you get drawn into judging. Now, of course, when you were on The Apprentice for quite a number of years, you were um, Sir Alan, now Lord Alan Sugar's right-hand man, and, and you had to be quite judgmental, didn't you? Yeah, it was an, it, it, it's, it's an extraordinary programme. It's kicked off in 2005, still running strongly, started, uh, as you know, uh, this week. And, um, gosh, what was my job on that? My job was to chase around after, at the beginning of the series, something like eight or nine uh, young entrepreneurs, or that's what they thought they were, or would be, or should be, or could be, mm. um, listening to what they had to say and reporting back to Lord Sugar, who is like an enormous global spider. Nothing misses his gaze, and he needs to know absolutely everything. So for 10 years I did that, pretty exhausting, Um, but enormously interesting in the sense that the same old mistakes came roaring through time and time again, you know. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you had a, a particular style. I don't know how you might want to describe your style in terms of um, coming across to the general public that were watching. Well, it, it certainly wasn't a sort of a, you know, a calculated thing. It was me. Maybe some of the time I was slightly bemused and confused as to what on earth was going on. But actually, it wasn't my job to speak a great deal when I was following following them around. And whilst we might all sort of make fun of them, the great secret, really, Adrian, is that it was a cauldron. I would have lasted two minutes. The pressure is horrible. But also the great trick from a televisual point of view is that we all think we could have done better. And maybe we would have done better if we were sitting in our armchair at home but once you get into that studio once you get on that bus with with the others oh it's it's horrible brutal almost no (laughs) any parallels with the traitors here in terms of trust building 
Julie, I haven't seen one single minute of Traitors, but if it's as bad or worse than, than The Apprentice in terms of interaction between candidates, then my word, it must be a true horror story. Because the, the great lesson of The Apprentice is that if you work as a team, you're more likely to win. And if you win, you don't get pulled back into the boardroom and get beaten up by Lord Sugar. Yeah. That's the lesson. Work as a team. And yet, always, they're using their elbows to, to gain prominence and to be in charge and to show off. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, very much so. Now, you, well, I'm going to say fell into this and didn't really fall into it. You were handpicked by Alan Sugar because you had a prior relationship. Just tell us a little bit about your career you know, before Alan Sugar and then what you were doing with Alan before this show. Well, it was interesting, actually. I, I was initially a law student, um, but my father refused to let me go to Trinity College Dublin, where he had been and my mother had been, and indeed where my brother was. I'm going to speak very quietly. I'd hate him to hear it. But he sort of made a bit of a mistake and, and was sent down and uh, or came home, let's put it that way. And my father said, well, you're not going to Dublin. Um, you're going to stay very close to me and I'm going to article you, as it was called in those days, to a local lawyer. Um, I didn't much care for it, to be honest with you. And uh, I took myself off to London and got into the PR business um, and was, was recruited by a wonderful man, um, a truly remarkable fellow, actually. And he taught me all that... Uh, he knew, and I picked up as much of it as I could. And eventually I bought him out. Um, I got a directorship in about three or four years, and then I managed to buy him out. Um, and then it was in 1983 when the phone rang, and it was um, the marketing director, Damstrad, and I was brought in to launch the first mass market home computer, I suppose, that's not strictly true because Sinclair was there, Commodore was there, Atari was there, but none of them came bundled with a monitor. And that was the big deal for the same price. You used to plug your, your system unit into the television home. Anyway, it was a huge success. The launch was great. And, um, I was sort of on board and my company looked after the launches of all the various computers, both the home computers, the PCs. And then we launched with Rupert Murdoch, Sky Television, because, of course, Alan Sugar's Amstrad was the only company to supply the system unit and the dish. And then what happened? He went into Tottenham Hotspur. Well, that was a, a very uh, racy affair, I can tell you. So we spent a lot of time in court uh, fighting battles. Um, and then eventually... Um, I, I sold the company, actually, in about 97, but he kept me on for his own business interests. And I had another client who uh, I'd had for many years, His Highness the Aga Khan, who, of course, is the imam of the Ismaili um, branch of Islam. Brilliant, brilliant uh, man, actually, and an extraordinary organization. So I waltzed around the world until about 2005, when I really retired, and Alan Sugar held a big party for me, which is very generous of him. He's that sort of chap. And I retired for all of three weeks when he called me back to get involved in the negotiations 
with the apprentice, which um, had been offered to the BBC and kept rather carelessly. They they didn't take it up, or it got they got confused, or it got lost, and a production company bought it and then offered it back to the BBC on a contractual basis. And here we are in year whatever it is. Is it 18 or something? Yeah. And it's strong as ever. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And um, I retired, I think, in 2000 and I can't remember. Was it 14 or something, 15? Um, mm. After 10 years anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a great show. And people say, well, you know, Every task, Adrian, every task in that show is a business lesson, as you will readily recognize. Um, and young kids watch it and old people watch it. But I like the youngsters watching it because it demystifies business. And that's hugely important in a an era when there are no huge employers, apart from the NHS, probably, and the revenue. Um, so it's, you know, it demystifies it. Uh, business and and you know these days you've got to start your own business in many cases well there's a lot of aspiration to do that no it is a fascinating show and i don't know if it's that what's the word schadenfreude which is you know enjoying other people's suffering but there's something about it that's positive at the end the goal the end goal every yep. week has an end goal which is positive too it, it is it, it is compelling viewing in, in many many ways now you've then obviously you know worked with um High profile, a lot of glamorous uh, clients. I mean, working with with Alan, you've obviously got to know him very, very closely. He has again a public persona, looks a yeah. bit, you know, rough and tough and 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 very to the point. But you know, as far as you you feel able to, um, just tell us perhaps, um, you know, that experience of of being close to Alan over so many years in different guises, different. I think. Oh, he's electric. Uh, he is electric. Um, um, the thing was, I had a, my company, and we were, we were we were good. We acted for airlines and governments, even at one stage. That's another story. Um, but he is magnetic uh, to such an extent that all the people worked for him. And Amstrad was sold to Rupert Murdoch some years ago now. But we all get together, so all the technology guys have a curry once a year. You would get 50 or 60 people turning up. Then there's another group that turn up. Um, it is such a strong family feeling about it. And everybody who worked for him just, you know, really followed, you know, appreciated him and thought he was terrific. He great loyalty. And it was all about, it was all about leadership. Now he wasn't going around hugging everybody. I can tell you that. Mm. He was very loyal to his people, unless they did something very stupid more than once, or were disloyal or dishonest. And then, of course, there was a sort of, uh, that was it. Mm. But uh, very loyal, very amusing. Um, a man of few words, really, but very generous, very loyal. Um, and, you know, we're good mates. In fact, he's coming to my 80th birthday party in a few weeks' time. Um, and he'll make a little speech as he did at my 70th. And I speak at his, uh, birthdays and wedding anniversary and sort of thing. Um, so we're, we're good, we're, we're good friends. Um, and I appreciate his loyalty over the years. Mm. Uh, dramatic. I mean, very courageous. Um, you imagine if you're buying 
in the Far East, um, a system unit and a monitor, and you're going to offer it to the public at the same price as a, a Sinclair or an Atari without a monitor. You know, Adrian, you've got to buy in huge volume in order to take that price down to make it a, a sort of a an obvious choice to buy, right? So that's what he did. He was he was a very brave gambler. Is it a gambler? He had immaculate timing. That was the extraordinary thing. I thought maybe he'd done a deal with the devil because his timing was always perfect. He used to hit it at exactly the right time in terms of buying something. Here's, here's a great story. As the computer market boomed, there was a shortage of microchips, okay? You can't build a computer without the microchips. So consequently, there was a scramble and there weren't, there wasn't enough manufacturing capability in the world to meet the demand. So he, he looked at his finance director, this guy called Ken. He said, Ken, he said, um, get up down to Heathrow tomorrow with a checkbook and you're flying to Boise, Idaho and you're going to buy 30% of Micron, which is a chip manufacturer, American chip manufacturer. And that will give us, um, a constant supply of chips. So we stay in the market. Okay. And that's what he did. I can't remember. Was it 30 million he paid? It's a long time ago now. But that was the sort of, you know, dramatic, mm. decisive sort of action that he would take. Mm, no, tremendous. And it, you know, there's a particular, I think, what's the word? profile right of entrepreneurs very successful entrepreneurs and you know they don't necessarily overanalyze it but their stomach tells them as you say their intuition often is very very oh you're so right brilliant no you're so right here's here's a quick story somebody said um alan the mobile market uh mobile telephone market is really gonna go it's really gonna go and there's a firm in denmark that um they can't keep their costs under control. They're going to go bust. It's called Dancor. They're at Art, 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 I can't remember the name of the town. Aarhus. Anyway, get over there because you can snap it up. He said, right. He flew out that afternoon sort of thing. He went to the factory um, and they said, we will now give you a presentation. He said, I'm not interested in your presentation. You've made a mess of this company. I'm going to walk around. And he walked around. He said, I smelt it. He said, I absolutely smelt the fact that these people know absolutely what they're doing. And you must understand, Adrian, that mobile tele- uh, telephony came out of Scandinavia, Norway and Sweden and so forth. Nokia, Ericsson, all of those. Yeah, because very few people, big distances. That's that, that that was the issue. So he he walked and smelt it, and he got all the engineers together, and he said, "Right, if any of you get another job between now and next Friday, I'm coming after you. You've got to stick together because I'm coming back on Friday, and you're going to be working for me." He went home, obviously did some number crunching, went back, bought it, I think for six and a half million. Something like that. And the problem was they were making phones, little beautiful little hand, you know, my, uh, mobile phones. And they were putting them in little teak bot hinged boxes as though they were a present or a, such a mad. When you get your phone out, you don't open a box and pull it out. You, you stick it in your pocket, don't you? Anyway, they didn't seem to understand that in Denmark. So he bought it, 
put uh, somebody in to cut the costs, everything, the rest of it. About four years later, he sold it to Siemens for 78, I think it was, 78 million. Wow. That was because of the smell of the the R&D department, you know, just generally he knew, he knew this was, this was a deal. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Amazing. And actually, I think it was Sony and Siemens had a had to fight over it. There you go. No, that's that's what guts is about. Yeah, no, indeed. But he, you know, he, as you say, he's he's loyal. He, he can be very charming, man of few words, but he can be very blunt too. Not afraid for the difficult conversations, obviously. Not at all. Not at all. Um, oh, not at all. He used to be pretty sharp with journalists, because I was sort of trying to manage all this stuff. So it's quite interesting. But he's he's an original. He's an original. Um, and of course, he got a. Um, uh, a period really as a sort of business are from Gordon Brown, I think. And he's, he's, he used to, and I used to sort of fix it up really. Um, you can do it too as a tour around all the, uh, universities talking about business and, you know, because business in the old days, you're too young to remember, Adrian, but it was sort of not quite the thing, really. You know, you always had to head for the profession stores. So he went round, and for, gosh, we would do one or two a month for several years and was tremendously successful in just trying to enthuse young people about business. And now yeah. look at it. Yeah. Business people are the heroes. Yeah, no, absolutely. What a change. And a lot of people, I mean, the biggest part of the university is the business school, of course. People come to study business, which just to change subject a little bit, you recently visited for the first time. So um, I know you're doing so much in the county, but it, what a shame that you hadn't been to see us. Thank goodness we got you before you move out of the county. But anyway, well, tell what, us. You've got, you've got the most wonderful campus I've ever seen. It's brilliant. Um, you're very lucky to have that. And, uh, you know, the, the university's doing well. So, you know, yeah. You should be very proud of it. Well, thank you. No, I really appreciate that. And you're very kindly going to come to a couple of our events with our students, and you've offered to do a special guest lecture. So we're very excited um, about that. And I know that you've um, very modestly say that you do have, you know, a few um, business-related stories that will inspire, I'm sure, our our students. Now, having been on The Apprentice, that wasn't a one-trick pony. Um, all of a sudden, you're snapped up as a TV presenter, right? And you get involved in other programs of, uh, of popular repute. Oh. Countdown, I think, is the main one. Countdown came out. It's quite funny because um, I was rung up. So would I be interested in Countdown? I said, I have absolutely no idea. What is it? Because I wasn't at home in the afternoon, was I? Um, I wasn't at home in the evenings either because I worked like a Trojan um, and very crazy, crazy hours because I had to. Um, so I got swept into that. It's very funny, actually, because it came through when I was doing The Apprentice, and we were filming, actually, and uh, the studio, and we each had a dressing room, and each dressing room had a bowl of fruit, and Alan Sugar used to stroll in and take my bananas. And he, he came in, strolled in one day, said, oh, took a banana, and he said, what's going on? And I said, well, I've been offered this thing called um, Countdown. He said, what's that, then? I said, well, I, I've only seen it once, because it only popped up the other day. He said, it's all about numbers and letters, and, you know, it's very, very cerebral. He said, how much are they paying? And I told him. And he looked at me and said, do it. 
<laughs> and he strolled out again. So that then led me into nine and a half years of countdown, which was great. But I was also doing an awful lot of other stuff. And um, I then gave up, really, The Apprentice on the basis that I'd done 10 years. And it, with that and Countdown at the same time, plus all the other stuff, I was, you know, just uh, pretty weary and never got home. So so there we are. But I was very lucky, very fortunate. Um, and then I did... Other stuff I did a trip across um well about a quarter of the world's surface from I think we went from Istanbul to Almaty in Kazakhstan for children in need. And then I did a drive for actually this is a quite nice little story. I work for a charity called Street Child, which is all about getting kids back into school because down in West Africa, in Sierra Leone and Liberia around there. A lot of children run away from home because their parents can't feed them. So they sort of scrounge around town and they really should be back in school. So we, we give the parents, or normally the mother, some money and set her up in business so that she can afford to feed the family. Okay. So anyway, we made a little film down there and I was introduced to a boy who had been, he was now 18, um, and he had been trained as a carpenter. I went to see his little factory. And he showed me his own personal workshop. And I thought, this kid has got something about him. Um, he's got an entrepreneurial spirit. He recognizes that you don't always have to work for somebody. You can work for yourself. So about three, two years later, I was a bit bored. I thought, i tell you what we'll do. I'll buy a um, uh, big industrial saw, you know, big rip saw, they call it, and a generator because you can't rely on the electricity. Yeah. And I'll buy, um, uh, it's called a planer, which smooths out the timber. Um, and I'll buy, um, a trailer. And I scrounged very cleverly the most beautiful Toyota Land Cruiser. And I drove it down to Freetown. And this boy called James, James Conte, didn't know what was going, he didn't know. So we, we, we sort of ambushed him and presented him with all this stuff. And got him a building um, and set him up in business. Now, 12 years later, because this kid was sleeping in a hut on the beach. Um, really, I mean, he had nothing. Honestly. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm not a philanthropist. I don't go around throwing money around it. But I thought this was a test. Mm. You know, it's the old fishing rod test, you know. Give him a yeah. fish, he's, he's hungry by supper time. Um, and... Twelve years later, he's married, he's got four kids, he employs people, and he's running a successful business. Isn't that brilliant? Tremendous. You know, from nothing. And he managed the transition. He makes doors, panel doors, um, and good ones. And he's got his own, he bought another house. We well, got a house, then he bought another one. So he's on his way. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, very rewarding for you. Give that sure. kid a chance. Yeah. No, very rewarding for him. Yeah, you say you're not a philanthropist, but you are, I think, do um, other charitable work in this country. Is that correct? Yeah, well, yeah, as a patron, yeah. Well, I work for Street Child and another one, which is pretty interesting, and people don't quite get it. It's called Hope and Homes for Children, and it's about shutting down orphanages. You say, what are you talking about? Because 80% of children in orphanages in 
places like Eastern Europe and in Africa too are not orphans at all. In Eastern Europe, particularly in, in Romania, um, the state owned the children. And if, if Ceausescu, who was in power then before he was machine gunned, um, would say, well, I don't think you can afford that child. It's sort of state property. He used to put them in these horrible orphanages as babies. I'm not going to go into it. It's just too demoralizing. Right. Anyway, we shut, shut them down in, in Romania. And, and also in Rwanda, there was a horrible orphanages. It was called the Joy Orphanage. Privately run, guess what? Privately run for profit. Because yeah. what you do is you fill it up with uh, malnourished children. And then you, you, you go to America and say, look, we've got to look after all these orphans. Give us the money to enable us to look after them. And they raise the money. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, they don't look after them, but it didn't look like it to me. Yeah, interesting. Fascinating. And, and you know, the, the, those problems in different guises are even in this country, of course. Um, sadly, children, we don't always look after the future very well, do we? Mm. Indeed. Now, you're telling me you're retired. Is that true, Alan? Uh, uh, um, is that true, Nick? Or is what would your wife say, does she, uh, your partner? Does she say retired. you're retired? No. Um, I'm sort of retired, but I do a sort of speaking thing sometimes. Um, which, you know, is, 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 is fun. Um, uh, and I, I still do the charity stuff. Um, pancreatic cancer is one of my, uh, charities. Terrible. All they want is money to be able to get an early diagnosis. And I don't know whether you know all about pancreatic cancer, but once you're diagnosed, you, you know, it's all over. It's terrible. It's the sort of Cinderella of cancer. So I'm very keen on trying to promote, you know, an early test and the, and raise the money to do it. Um, what a fair trade. That's a good one. Do you know, we don't care what the farmers on the far side of the world earn as long as we can get cheap bananas. Do you know what a bunch of bananas cost, Adrian? No. Nobody does. It's just a commodity. Yep. It's just a commodity. Apparently, in Tesco, if no bananas have gone through the till in the last five minutes, a big bell rings in the warehouse outside or down in the storeroom. Quick, get more bananas up onto the shelves. It's a commodity. <laughs> um, and the, do you know what? I should know, but I can't remember how much a bunch costs, but it's nothing. And as soon as they get a bit speckly, you throw them out and get more bananas in um and yet the guy who's slipping around on some volcanic hillside down in the caribbean you know it's almost nothing yeah no that's just so that we can you know throw bananas out when they get a bit speckly i think it's awful so people down there and people growing coffee in Cote d'ivoire and down in in africa they're all like 50 pence a day just yeah, so yeah. we can get cheap coffee. No, it's um, it's so true. There are so many issues. But, you know, there are a lot of people working on that. I think Starbucks is working on the coffee industry. But there is some hope. But we need more and more enlightened businesses. Now, you've, 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 you've been very closely associated with business, with entrepreneurs. Um, just very, you know, as we're talking about the, the social element, 
Um, are you a believer in, in sustainability, you know, CSR, corporate social responsibility, all those things? Was that prevalent earlier in your life or is it more prevalent now? Does Alan get that sort of aspect? Mm, I'm not sure, but I was given a lecture. I was at lunch the other day and given a lecture by a, she's a psychiatrist actually, um, and, but she's an envir- environmentalist. You would be amazed. You would be amazed at the st- statistics on 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 um climate change and what's happening and her argument is that we've really got to eat more plant-based foods you know that a plant i don't let call it cabbage takes two square meters okay um a cow takes 400 times that right so it's all about land land usage mm-hmm. forget about the methane that the that the cow kindly produces for us and all the rest of it so absolutely and just we were talking about fair trade and coffee down in the coffee growing areas it soon will be too hot even at the moment they are planting trees to cast shade over the coffee bushes because it's too hot for the coffee bushes, yeah? So they'll move north, just as the French are buying land in southern England in order to to, to plant vines to provide sparkling wine, which actually is very good. So it's all moving north because of the intense heat um, in in the south. Spain, Spain, what's going to happen to Spain? Yeah, they had temperatures of over 30 degrees, didn't they, a few days ago? I mean, absolutely. And my wife is Spanish, Nick, so uh, <laughs> feel is that, that right? very, very acutely indeed. No, the it world is... Almost, it was almost 20 degrees in the north of Scotland in February. Yeah. Yes. It's bonkers. It is bonkers. Well, you know, there's an awful lot going on. Just to bring back, as we come towards the end of our, our time today, Nick, and I could talk with you forever. I'm sure our listeners could listen. So maybe, hopefully, you'll come back one day before or after you've moved to Buckinghamshire. But um, <laughs> you you are, uh, people will be able to see you in Northampton coming up soon. I believe you're, you're doing a, a talk in the town centre very shortly. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I've been invited to have a chat. I think it's on the 22nd of this month at the... Um, the Vulcan building, and it's to do with the bid, mm-hmm. so the, the the town centre bid, and, and it needs to be sort of, you know, shaken up a bit, the town centre, to be honest with you. So I'm very happy to do that. And I, um, I think it's being promoted quite heavily in the town. Um, uh, so there we are, yeah. It's so if people want to, to find out, go to the Northampton town centre bid. I can't remember what the... Um... The website is, but uh, I'm sure if you look under Northampton Town Centre bid, then if you'd like to go and hear Nick and hear a little few more of his um, stories and anecdotes, that will be in support of our town centre. And I know you very kindly offered to come on campus shortly to our business fest and then to give a special uh, guest lecture to our students. So we want to keep you as busy as you can, Nick, before as we can before you leave the county. And I hope this is the well, first of, of other... Uh, chats as well but um, for now we've been listening and fascinated by Nick Hewer. Um you say business communicator which is a nice way of saying PR for business and that's how you got in, involved with Lord Sugar but what a tremendous career you've had second life in many ways right when you had this media career after your business career earlier on and um, just tremendous your book you better tell everybody about your book while you're on <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I was pestered by a, a literary agent called Heather Holden Brown. She said, you must write a book. I said, I don't want to write a book. I've got nothing to say. And she went on and on and on. And eventually she said, oh, well, I'll try. And anyway, I thought, what's the simple way? I know, my alphabet, A to Z. Um, and basically find a subject for A, B, C, D, and so forth. And it's it's sort of long anecdotes about a, a funny old life, really. Anyway, um, it's a would good you read. believe that two publishers bid for it? It uh, paid me more, rather more than I thought was possible, uh, but I'm not altogether sure that anybody read it. And I think you can buy it on Amazon for about seven and six in old money. Well, I bought it, and it's the most enjoyable read. That um, I don't know how to describe it. Dry, sardonic, or ironic wit comes shining through. Right? But it also does give an insight into your very varied life, I have to say. So um, I'm sure you look back, you know, 80, Greggy, who'd have thought? You don't look 80. I'm sure you look back at, at great satisfaction at all those and still doing good as well. So Nick Hewer, TV presenter, business communicator, many thanks indeed for coming on to the show and uh, sharing those insights. And, yes, yeah, so I hope you'll come on again very soon and tell us a, a few more because there's so much to your very rich life. Nick Hewitt, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Well, the theme to the to Countdown sort of um, closed out my interview with Nick Hewer from The Apprentice and Countdown fame. A lovely gentleman, I have to say, and I've got to know him in the last two or three months, both at an awards dinner, then his visit to the university. And he's been very gracious in coming to support a couple of events we're doing at the university. So the students will very much enjoy meeting Nick and hearing from him as well. Many thanks to Nick. Many thanks to all my guests today, to the students from the second year for their interview to Chris Smith from the Durngate, development manager at the Durngate for telling us about the auction and of course to Duncan Farrington from Farrington Oils and Jenny Herrera from the Good Business Charter talking about Good Business Week. Many thanks of course to Martin Steers, the um, the station manager and producer of this show and um, you know very many thanks to you for listening of course. If you missed anything or you want to hear it again you can do so at www.nliradio.com forward slash open for business where the four is the number four and the interviews will soon be turned into podcasts at podfollow.com forward slash open for business podfollow.com forward slash open for business you can write to me with any suggestions any asking for any help from the university or any suggestions for the show if you'd like to be on it if you've got any feedback if you know somebody would like to be on it um, adrian.price with a y at northampton.ac.uk that's adrian.price with a y at northampton.ac.uk so that said with all the thanks to all um, involved station producer martin steers to my guest to you for listening hopefully you'll join us again next week same time same place tuesday 7 to 9 p.m here on n live radio 106.9 fm also of course at nliveradio.com uh, many thanks indeed so we will be closing out with something that's very aspirational given the aspirations of the apprentice <coughs> excuse me trying to win prizes at the Durngate and being a good business let's all hope that we do what s club seven do and basically reach for the stars when the world leaves your feet
Northampton Zone 106.9 N Live. From the Sky News Centre at nine, the King has been seen in public for the first time since yesterday's news that he's being treated for cancer. He and the Queen waved to well-wishers from their car outside Buckingham Palace. Charles also spent around 45 minutes with Prince Harry. We're told, though, there is no plan for the Duke of Sussex to see his brother William while he's here. And Mikel Voy is executive editor at Politico. That tells its own story, doesn't it? If there's any hope that this leads to some sort of reconciliation, it that something happens has happened. I mean, Harry got here very, very quickly, so he clearly did drop everything to come, and I think there would be due credit for that. Dentists are to be offered cash incentives to take on new patients in England. Details being set out tomorrow will include golden hellos to work in communities with a lack of NHS dental services. A woman has become the first parent in the United States to be convicted over a mass shooting by their child. The jury found Jennifer Crumbly responsible because she gave her teenage son a gun and ignored warnings of violence. He went on to kill four people and injure 11 at a school in Michigan. A strike in involving around 2,000 driving examiners across the UK has been called off. The PCS union says it's been given concessions in a row with the DVSA over how to tackle a backlog of tests. Ireland's Prime Minister says he was devastated to hear about one of his predecessors, John Bruton's passing. The 76-year-old died this morning. He was Taoiseach from 1994 to 97. Leo Varadkar says he was an inspiration. John's somebody I knew well, a respected man of great intellect, a man of great dignity, but also somebody who was a great Taoiseach and towering figure uh, in our party, Fine Gael. And he's one of the reasons why I joined the party, one of the reasons why I got involved in politics. To football and Neil Warnock's first game in charge of Aberdeen's been entertaining. His new side are drawing one all with Rangers. They'd move level on points with Scottish Premiership leaders Celtic if they can get a win. That's the latest. I'm Nick Rishi.